And as we do so, this is an amazing chapter in the Bible. And that when I think of the, the scripture writers, I think of the incredible people connected with God in such a way that, that God's spirit is flowing through them and through their arm and through their pen into the paper. Chapter 4 is written primarily by a pagan king. And it's just shocking, but it's a, an example of how that God can use anyone, even a crazy pagan king, to do his work. But for all of us, what I ask all of us this morning is to truly examine our own lives and recognizing, are we surrendering everything that we've got to this holy God who created us? Are we surrendering everything are we holding parts of ourselves back? And if we are, the message is to let go. To let go and just allow yourself to be completely transformed by God's word. As we look into this chapter, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar is, is speaking. And it looks like he is giving an address a state of the union address, as it would be. He is letting the world know something. And he's excited by what he has to share. And what he shares is like no other state of the union address that I have ever heard. Because at the beginning of chapter 4, he talks about how there is an incredible, amazing God. And he knows it. I've never heard of a State of the Union address like that before. But as we read through the chapter, we see why that Nebuchadnezzar is so willing to say this. At this point, it's about 25 years since the last chapter, chapter 3 that we read. And it's 45 years since that first dream that Daniel um, interpreted for him. So a lot of time has passed here. The kingdom of Babylon is tremendous at this point. Extremely successful and amazing accomplishments. This city is absolutely spectacular. I've read reports and it's, it's hard for me to imagine that this is true because I just can't imagine it. But that the walls of the city of Babylon were 300 feet high. I just can't fathom that. That would be as high as a football field and 75, 85 feet wide. The reports of them doing chariot races around the, the perimeter of Babylon and that the perimeter would be around 60 miles around the, the city. Just an incredible, incredible city. It's just hard to imagine. Well, Nebuchadnezzar began really seeing this as something that he did. Nebuchadnezzar saw this as he's the most powerful man in the universe and that he did this, and pride filled his heart. But as we saw in the previous chapters, incredible things happened with Nebuchadnezzar. He saw spectacular, miraculous things. And as he saw these things, he was, he was inspired. He was challenged. He would say, God is God. But he wasn't changed. He, on the inside, stayed the same 
crazy, arrogant person that he was from the beginning. And as I read these passages, I look at my own life. I see that I have experienced, I've seen God. In this room, as we reflect on our previous lives, we can look back and see where God was working, where God did this or God did that. But the real question is, not are we moved, not are we inspired by what we have seen that God has done, but are we allowing ourselves to be transformed by God? Like as who we are, our being ourselves, are we allowing God to change, fundamentally change who we are in our nature and to change and transform who we are to be who God created us to be in the first place? To be the image of God, doing and being a part of what God has called us to be. You see, God can change Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll see in a moment. And God can change you. God can change your heart. God can change the core of who you are. And I've seen this happen in several ways. I remember it was just a few years ago at my 20th high school reunion um, that we were talking. I was talking with some friends, and Lisa was with me. And the conversation uh, from a group to the side of us, I heard them talking about Billy. And I remember Billy. I was um, his locker partner in the seventh grade. And I learned early on in my junior high career that sometimes if you're hanging around the wrong crowd, you're going to get in trouble. So Billy was one of those that I learned that I shouldn't be hanging around because I'd get in trouble. I was called into the principal's office for stuff that I didn't realize I was a part of. But because I was Billy's locker partner, I was getting in trouble. So years passes. Um, our senior year, um, the, the class did superlatives, and Billy did get a superlative. His superlative is guy most likely to go to jail after high school. But at this high school reunion 20 years later, they were talking about Billy because he wasn't there, and what they were talking about is that the reason he did not choose to go to the high school reunion is that he was going to a church picnic. And so I kind of perked up. I'm like, wow. And so I'm like, what? tell me. what." And they said, we, we don't know what else is going on, but somehow um, his wife started attending a church, and then he started going, and he says he's a new person now. I have, and then I said, well, what church is it? And they said, Owensburg Baptist. That was my church that I grew up in. And I just, ha I had to leave. I left immediately, and I drove to the 20 miles to where my church always had their, their Sunday school picnics because there's a little park, kind of like John Paul Park, close to the church. And I went, and sure enough, there was Billy with my, my old church doing a Sunday school picnic. And I sat down with Billy, and I asked him to tell me your story. And he laid out where, how his heart was and how... His, his wife started going to church, and he saw this incredible change in who she was and the joy that came to her. And he said, I, I wanted that. I, I need that. And so he started attending to, and God transformed their family. This incredible thing to see. But it was hard for me to imagine that knowing um, Bill through elementary school and junior high and high school. But God did an amazing thing because Bill 
allowed God to do that by completely surrendering everything to him. His past, his mistakes, his present, his life, and he was transformed. As we come into the story here, this is where Nebuchadnezzar is at, only on a more extreme level. So let's peek into the story here. Um, But before I get to that part, leading up to this, he has another dream. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, very similar to what he did previously. He went to the the wise men of the the time, and they're like, you know, they didn't want to falsely interpret something because they knew his wrath. And so he calls out Daniel, who he continues to call um, Belshazzar. And so as he brings in Daniel to, to interpret this dream, and once again, Nebuchadnezzar's concerned about this dream, and he tells the dream to him. In verse 9, he says, I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, remember this is Daniel, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and there's no mystery too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. Some versions will say the heavens. This was magnificent tree. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. And under it the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and the roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the the lowest of people. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. It's quite a dream. And as he shares this dream with Daniel, Daniel is taken back, and he doesn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it means at first. And we can see from this passage that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have gotten a a good relationship. And it's obvious here that actually Daniel cares deeply for the king, even though he is someone who is lost and has done horrible things. Daniel really cares for King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And I think for us, that's a challenge always, that our compassion for everyone should be high because of the Spirit of God living in us. That as we see those who are making what we would consider terrible mistakes and choices in their life, that we have to look at them in such a way that Christ does, that we love them despite their mistakes. It's so easy if someone is making choices that are different from ours to, to kind of look down our nose at them and think, man, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why in the world are you doing that? I'm, I'm guilty of that and, and thinking that. But we're called to love people even in the midst of their craziness, their poor choices and what they're doing. And through that love, the love of God can do its work. So as Daniel receives an understanding from God of this vision, King Nebuchadnezzar can see that he's troubled. And he's like, don't, don't be afraid. Tell me, what is it? What is he sharing? And then Daniel interprets the dream for him and says, this tree is you. This tree is you. You are the most, you are the most powerful, powerful person on earth. And your influence reaches from one end of the earth to the other one. And through your economy and what you've created, everyone is being fed. But you see, you are claiming credit for all of this yourself. Your, your spirit of pride is so huge in your life, you're not giving God credit for this. You're, you're putting yourself right up there with God and, and claiming the credit for all that has happened within the kingdom. And you need to know that God put you where you're at. That God allowed this to happen. And it even... And there's a note here within his dream announced by the messenger that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest, the lowest of people. So he's saying it's, it's, it's not bragging to say that you're king because very often God puts the lowest of people in leadership positions. And that's the way it is. And as the king is, is hearing this, he's, he's shaken and he's concerned. But as he hears this, Daniel continues to explain that there is hope. You see, if... If you change, things won't go as planned because if you don't change, this is what's going to happen. You are going to be cut down. You're going to lose your kingship. And you're going to lose your mind. And for a period of seven, for seven years, you're going to think that you're a beast. You think that you're going to be an ox. And you're going to be eating grass out in the field. But you, you can repent. In fact, you're given time. And in fact, we learn that God gave him 12 months to repent. And the challenge was, Daniel told him, is that you need to repent of your sins. And you need to take care of the poor. That's what you need to do to make sure this doesn't happen. He's challenged. He's upset, but as time passes on, he completely forgets. And doesn't that happen with us? We'll come to a point in our life and we're challenged. We feel God's presence and we feel the Holy Spirit speaking to us. 
and we're, we're moved by that as we experience God around us and in us, but then we, we just kind of move on. We don't allow that experience to fundamentally change who we are. And so we hear it. It's easy to feel that we're impacted by it, but we move on, and I think we often confuse the feeling that we get from the experience to actual change that's going on in here. You see, God just doesn't want to move us. God just doesn't want to challenge us. God wants us to fundamentally change our hearts to allow him to transform us into people who are loving, obedient people, obedient to his word, obedient to his spirit as we live our lives. And I think it's really easy to confuse that feeling of God's presence for actual change. We can be in a, a worship service and, and singing glorious hymns and we feel God's presence and that's awesome and we can walk out the door and it have not made a single impact on our lives. You see, for that fundamental change to happen, we have to allow ourselves to surrender everything about who we are to that holy God, the, the God of the universe. As we live our lives, it's so easy to allow ourselves to have pride develop. Now, pride, it looks like this is Achilles of Nebuchadnezzar. This is his Achilles heel. Because every day when he walks out of his front door, he can see the lavishness of what, in his mind, he created. And when he's always in this environment and everyone around him is telling him how awesome he is and, and what he's done. It's just so easy to allow that to go to one's head, to think that this is because of me and not because of God. And so he had all these warnings, the early dreams, the early understanding of... You can switch to the pulpit. So an understanding of who... God is, did not affect his pride. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, God oppresses the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. But however, for you, it may not be pride. It may be something else. It may be something that, is, that is, you think is supporting you and holding you up. But sometimes when we rely, well always, when we rely on these things to be self-sufficient, when we allow on these things to prop us up, to tell us that everything's okay and everything's going to work out okay, if it's anything except for God, then it will fail eventually. See, God wants us completely dependent upon him. God wants us to be completely um, surrendering everything that we have to him. So I challenge all of us to consider what am I blind to in my own life? What is it I'm blind to as I live my life that the way Nebuchadnezzar is blind to his own arrogance, that he is blind to what is going on in his life? God gave Nebuchadnezzar a chance to repent. He gave him 12 months after this vision, saying exactly what was going to happen. God is patient. God is patient with us 
God is patient and he gives us time to grow, to reflect, to understand. But at some point, that ends. At some point, we have to pay consequences for our actions. Sometimes it's tragedy of consequences in our, our present life. It may be the consequences after our death, but we have consequences that we pay for our lack of obedience, our lack of putting God as our top priority in our life. There's consequences to us not surrendering our hearts fully to him. Nebuchadnezzar experienced tragedy. As you read through here, and this is Nebuchadnezzar relating the story of what happened. He admits, I had 12 months and I blew it. And then his mind left him. And he, as his mind totally left him, they kicked him out of the city. They didn't know what to do with someone who would be so extremely mentally ill. So he went out for seven years and lived as a beast. He ate grass. It says his, his nails became like bird claws and his hair became long what would probably be today we would call dreadlocks. But as his, his hair was long like feathers and bird claws, and he lived that way for seven years. And after seven years, he came to a point where all of a sudden he snapped to, and he, he, he remembered. He remembered everything. He remembered his disobedience. He remembered his arrogance. And he remembered eating grass for seven years. And he completely repented. He completely understood. Even There's a Greek historian in 250 BC who reported that, yes, Nebuchadnezzar had a time period where he thought he was an animal. It's recorded in history of, of his complete disregard and his rebellion against God. But as he wrote this chapter 4 in Daniel, his State of the Union address, it's more of a state of Nebuchadnezzar rather than State of the Union. Because at the end, Nebuchadnezzar says in 34, he said, At the end of this time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my saint sanity was restored, and I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. You see, sometimes we hold on to things because we think that's what we need. For Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he needed this pride to keep him moving forward. But sometimes we hold on to things that are actually harmful and they hurt us, but we're just used to it and we just keep holding on. You can take something useful. I've got keys in my pocket. And these keys are useful. They open doors. They start my car. But if I just hang on them to really tightly for a while, even these, which are good things, can get painful. But that's the way that we can hang on to things in our own life. That maybe it's painful, and maybe it's not a bad thing, but the way that we're holding on to it is wrong. Because for some reason we think we gotta have it. We gotta have these keys and we gotta hang on to them tightly. For you, it may be anything. It could be a relationship that's unhealthy. It could be an attitude about something. It could be pride like Nebuchadnezzar. It could be depending upon your own um, skill at, at something, skill at business, skill at sports, skill at whatever. It may be dependence upon another human being, a dependence upon um, parents, a dependence upon a spouse. But God wants 
our full dependence upon him and full trust upon him. And he asked us and points out to us, hey, that, that, that you're hanging on to, you need to let go of that. You've been hanging on to it so long you don't realize that it's hurting you. It's not helping you. You need to turn loose and let it go. And instead of hanging on to that, you need to hang on to me. You need to trust me. I love you. As you turn over everything in your life to me, it's going to be okay. Turn over everything that you've got. Every aspect of who you are. Allow me to lead every aspect, every corner of your life. And as you do that, wholeness and completeness and fulfillment is yours because that's who I made you to be. Someone who is fully dependent upon me. God is giving us a chance to repent now, to be who God calls us to be. Don't allow what you're holding on to to control you. Release it. In fact, I encourage all of us to think about what is it that I need to surrender in my life to be who God is calling me to be at this point in time? What is it I need to let go of? I called Jonathan this week and I said, hey, I have a, a, a request for our closing hymn, and it's I Surrender All. And he laughed and he said, that is our closing hymn. He said, I've already sent it to India. So as we sing this last song that God ordained from two different people, what is it that you need to release? What is it that you need to surrender? The, the author who wrote this song um, was a, an accomplished artist and, and teacher. And he was wrestling with surrendering that to change his career to be an evangelist. And he wrestled with it for years. And finally he decided to surrender that. And then at that moment he wrote this hymn, I Surrender All. And he wrote many others. And then in his, um, his, he wrote it in the late 1800s. And then the early 1900s as he was in his retirement years, he worked at a, the Florida Bible Institute, and he met a, a young man there at school. Um, they developed a friendship um, shortly before this author died, and the young man's name became an evangelist. You may have heard of him, Billy Graham. And so Billy Graham knew the author of I Surrender All, and so he included it in many of his crusades, and the song became well known. So as we listen to the first stanza, respond in your own life. What am I holding on to that I need to release? What is it I need to surrender? And then as we sing the words, just allow yourself to be moved by the Holy Spirit to answer that question, what do I need to surrender to be whole, to be complete, to be who God is calling me to be? Don't just be moved by the song, Allow yourself to be transformed to be who God calls you to be.
I'll be up here if you want to talk about membership or being a, a follower of Christ. I would love to chat and pray with you. Don't wait like Nebuchadnezzar until it's too late and suffer um, various consequences. Come now and answer to the call to surrender. Father, as we listen to your spirit, we're brave. Our hearts are soft. We want to do what you call us to do. We want to be who you call us to be. So as we sing this song, God, we just open ourselves up with courage to answer it. In your precious name we pray. Amen.